Welcome to SelfDiscoveryRadio.com, where the discovery of self has put a show away. With a thousand plus archive shows and new shows coming to you every Tuesday, we bring you illuminating people from around the globe. Visit our store for their services and books and enjoy the show. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Their Story Matters. I'm your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest today is Janine Staples. Supreme love in self. This is something I think we all need to find. In fact, I know we do. And especially at this particular time and space in life, love is something that makes the world go round, but it's also what makes you go round. If you don't have that love of self, you don't have that empowerment of self. And we need to empower ourselves more than ever at the present moment, especially if you are a person of color in North America. Um, anybody that's actually in a minority right at the present time is under fire. And how do you cope with that? How do you stand up to that without losing your dignity, without losing your own self-love and with inviting community? We're going to be talking about the terror and love that uh, typically don't go together in the same sentence, but for more and more women, the pairing has become a harsh reality. This is especially true of the post 9-11 world colliding with the era Trump. Um, we're going to be talking about the age of emotional, psychological and physical violence, how they play out in publicity and the mainstream, privately in intimate partnerships. And in the light of this, Janine um, asks how terror in love can impact the way women show up in relationships and how women operate in the world. Can we feel safe? Can we feel healed? Can we feel whole in an age where relational and social terrors against black women's bodies and souls are a common culture? Yes, it is a common culture and it's an unacceptable one. And uh, more and more we need to stand up in that self-love, uh, in that community love, as they say, rise up not with arms, but in arms, locked together in order to make this world a better place and show people how to love each other, that you're not going to live in the terror. So welcome to the show, Janine. Thank you so much, Sarah, for inviting me. I appreciate the invitation. It's really good to be here. Wonderful. Well, we are living in a very uh, <laughs> tumultuous era right now. Um, you know, it's it's kind of transcending whether you're black, white, pink, yellow, gay, straight, what faith you are, there just seems to be a permanent attack going on, like rapid fire. And uh, it's very hard to kind of dodge the proverbial bullets, isn't it? It's a really a time that people need to kind of come together. It is. There's a lot of rise in unconsciousness. There's a lot of space for um, growth that is in my view, um, a lot more noticeable um, and not as subtle as in perhaps a few years past. And so the opportunities are ripe and they are all around us. Mm -hmm. This actually is a great opportunity. A lot of people are looking at almost like doomsday, you know, the world's coming to an end. And how are we going to survive this? We're seeing this on the rise and that on the rise. Well, really, you know, my song of the day is Rise Up by Andrea Day. And I think it's a real great opportunity for us to rise up and address what are the issues and instead of you know the pitchforks but bringing forth the solutions oh absolutely um and the solutions are available i think that a part of the distraction that we experience um in not finding the solutions happens to be the rush um that uh we are sort of socialized into and in addition to that 
um, we have problems coming to solutions simply because our attention spans have gotten to be really short and our taste for gratification has gotten to be really, really, um, I guess, complicated (laughs) as opposed to simple um, and um, sort of unified in ourselves. So we don't have a lack of, of viable responses to some of our troubles. We just probably have a lack of attention. Uh, let's hit the attention button for the moment. Um, you know, I think, you know, attention and, you know, then gratitude, I mean, go, kind of go hand in hand. But <coughs> it's almost got, well, if you haven't got my attention in four seconds, forget it. If you haven't got mm-hmm. the answer for me right now, I'm on to the next. And uh, anybody that's journeyed in life knows that life is a process and certain things are going to take time. And the more time, the more you nurture them, the better they're going to grow. Yeah. You know, are we in trouble at the present moment with this instant gratification society? I would say that we're in a little bit of a pickle. Um, because we need um, to get back in touch with uh, our original disposition as spirits, and we need so much to be quiet and still, uh, we, our avoidance of quietude and of stillness will actually um, hinder us from coming forward with responses to some of the greatest ills that are facing us as uh, members of humanity. So, yeah, I would say that we are in a little bit of trouble. And what you say is also kind of the human nature is that we, you know, we, we kind of have to go through the journey. Like the universe will tap us on the shoulder and say, uh-uh, don't go this way. You know, go, mm-hmm. go this way. But we're very obstinate. We don't tune in. And we yeah. kind of wait for the proverbial cosmic two-by-four to happen before we realize yeah. <laughs> we should have gone somewhere else. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think that when we wait for the two-by-four, I, I don't, I don't blame people. People who come to the SupremeLoveProject.com, and that's the website your viewers, uh, excuse me, your listeners can go to, to find more information about my research and about my practice. Um, I don't blame people for getting hit by two by fours. I've been hit by my share of two by fours. Mm-hmm. Really, it goes back to um, the inability of our parents and grandparents and people before us um, to instill in us the value of stillness and silence, and also instill in us the truth of how. Everything that is material is preceded by that which is spiritual. Mm-hmm. If we can identify and recognize ourselves as spiritual beings who are stewards over souls and who live inside of soma, that is inside of bodies, then that orientation can actually help to enable us to um, tap into God's promptings and Holy Spirit's um, whispers prior to the two-by-four. Mm-hmm. But if we don't have that education and if we are not properly trained and disciplined um, as new people on the planet, then of course we come into adolescence, we come into young adulthood, we come into full-blown adulthood and even our elder years. Without that knowledge, there are people who are in the SupremeLawProject.com who are twice my age, you know, in their 70s, and they are actually, for the first time, coming into a space where they are recognizing and acknowledging the idea that they need to be still, they need to be silent, they need to learn how to trust and respect themselves in order to um, actually fulfill any purpose um, that they will for their lives or that God wills for their lives. A lot of people think that time heals all wounds. There are a lot of cliches that are actually not true. Time does not heal all wounds. You can absolutely leave this earth without fulfilling your purpose. You can absolutely reach midlife and beyond and have no idea why you're here or and have no idea why you have drawn in and attracted narcissistic energy or um, pain patterns mm-hmm. or repeat abuse patterns. Um, you know, age does not equal wisdom. And so I would say that, yes, you know, we are hit by two by fours. And yes, we, we have 
um, promptings and whispers, and we have um, hints and guides um, that precede those two by fours. However, if we are cauterized in our consciousness and we are obtuse, then we will miss those messages. Yeah, exactly. Um, eventually, you know, those two by fours would totally knock us out of the game. Um, and, you yeah, know, it, 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 it is all about finding our meaningful purpose in life, isn't it? You know, that divining connect. You know, I say step into knowingness. And, you know, the knowingness, from my understanding, is it comes into the soul where that divine truth resonates. It gives it to the heart uh, to ignite into a positive energy that gives it to the spirit to go into action. And then the mind will know what it needs to know at the time it needs to know it. And very often we're so stuck in patterning, you know, society's dictation of how we should be that we do not listen to who we really are you know from the inside out and as you're saying being still living in silence there's so much to be learnt in silence uh, yet as a society we seem to be living in stimuli all the time Yes, I would agree. We are overstimulated. Um, we are hyperdefensive. We are um, hypersensitive, but in ways that are random and arbitrary, that are actually chaotic and that are really, really wrapped up in egomaniacal behavior. One of the things that I say to people who come to the SupremeLoveProject.com is that self-love is not supreme love. Um, I make a distinct partition between the two. I think self-love is encapsulated within supreme love, um, but self-love cannot in and of itself contains supreme love. Self-love is not supreme love. And what I mean by that is that when we, we as women in particular, are taught to practice self-love, a lot of times that um, teaching is shallow and it's based in a lot of superficiality, a lot of surface sensibilities, and a lot of um, discrete methods that are distracted from a conceptual framework that actually can help to reorient our understanding of who we are. And so what you just talked about, Sarah, is one um, way of believing I actually... Um, posit a different way. What I say is as a supreme lover, you are a spirit and you steward a soul and you live in a body. So our, the mediation between the soul and soul is actually what needs to be repaired in order for us to move in this realm of earth um, with any degree of success. When we start thinking of ourselves as spiritual beings that are stewarding a soul, with lots of fragmentations, with lots of different stories, and living in a soma that captures memory and lodges it in our bodies, then we can actually tap into freedom. And that's a level of doing loving that is based in divine wisdom, as opposed to self-love, which is, says things like, you know, I, you know, has a lot of positive affirmations, you know, I am strong, I am beautiful, I am capable, I am well-loved, I am well-liked. Um, I don't... Um, despise self-love, of course. I, I advocate for it. I just do it in proper order. What I say to the women in the Supreme Love Project and who go to the thesupremeloveproject.com is if you want to build a new lover identity, if you want to be a supreme lover, it's very important to do things properly and in order. That means doing deep excavations of your soul as a batter of priority, really getting to the root of your survival programs, your belief systems, your defense mechanisms, your uh, narrative structures, your somatic memory, and doing reparative work at that core level, and then coming up to the um, surface of your consciousness and walking in the practice of doing methods that practice self-love. Because then what happens is the self-love that we practice methodologically after we do our supreme um, love healing, that is the deep excavation of our soul and our soma, um, then the self-love practices make sense. 
one of the things that I talk to women about um, who come into the SupremeLawPrac.com and they say, well, I'm practicing my positive affirmations. I'm, I'm saying such great things to myself. I'm doing that positive self-talk. And I said, yeah, that's great. That's self-love. And they said, well, why do I still feel so bad? Mm-hmm. You know, why, why do I still feel so depressed? And I said, well, because you're re-traumatizing yourself. What happens with a woman who is, quote, unquote, practicing self-love, you know, taking really great bubble baths, getting massages, doing yoga, um, maybe even going to a therapist, maybe saying no to certain people and um, curling up on her couch with a glass of wine to sort of do self-care. One of the reasons that she um, faces such consistent limits in her base of healing is because the root cause of her suffering have not been addressed by self-love. And also, cause of it, one's suffering has to be addressed. Deep healing has to happen first. And we also have to understand it's not just the surface of this lifetime. You know, it's it's a, it's a DNA imprint. And, uh, you know, if we've had past lives that have been traumatized, that imprint is going to be carried on into this lifetime. And it's just going to get added and go deeper. So, we're, you know, the cellular structures of our being has to uh, be unraveled and almost rewritten. Um, so if there is, again, no quick fix. Um, no downloadable app, you know, no, uh, <laughs> no you know, cosmic Amazon, you know, delivery here. Uh, it is a process that you have to be willing to go for and that you have to be willing to participate in because yeah. uh, it is a, a question of going through those levels, of yeah. multiple levels and unraveling and releasing each one of them mm-hmm. and then discovering truly who you are from the inside yeah. out as opposed to yeah. what has happened to you for your life that's defined who you are. Absolutely, Sarah. You're you are singing my song and speaking my language, and we are clearly kindred spirits. Mm-hmm. You know, I am a Christian. I profess Christ. I adore Him, and I, I I believe Him, and I confess Him. I'm a Christian, and so I don't necessarily ascribe to past lives. But what I can tell you is, I do understand intergenerational inheritance. Mm-hmm. So I do understand, for example, for me as a descendant, I am a descendant of slaves. That there is intergenerational inheritance that is built into my soma from my ancestors, for sure, absolutely, and so. A lot of that somatic memory and a lot of those belief systems, those survival programs that are turned on, I inherited. Some of them I built, but some of them I really, really, they're passed down through my mother's womb, my grandmother's womb, great-grandparents and great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents and from the continent and even beyond. And I do believe that we were... Um, set in motion in creation before the foundation of the world was laid. And so, of course, that I'm speaking as if I believe in self in previous lives. What I do is I believe in the continuum and the ad finitum and the omniscience of energy. Mm-hmm. I believe in yes. that. And I know for sure that we're all connected and that we're all tapped in. And when that is true, we then must understand that the level of um, loving that we need to do has to go beyond self-love. It has to tap into ancestral knowledge. It has to tap into antiquated works that are built into our lives and that's not something to be afraid of it's actually something that is our our birthright it's what we're supposed to be doing as spirits which is one of the reasons that i advocate for a supreme lover identity um so that we can actually you're saying and what i know to be true from my research which is to fully and meaningfully know who we are in totality in Mm -hmm. the deepest sense of the world that means then we can go to the grocery store and not get pissed off when somebody, um, you know, t- uh, you know, runs us off yeah. at, and takes our parking spot. Then we can like uh, miss a bill and not beat ourselves up for it and say, oh well, that was a mistake. Then we can have a conflict with our best friend and not feel like our world is falling apart. Then we can face our abuser and actually have words to say and know how to manage that situation. So then. Um, the day-to-day minutia of confrontation, of interaction, of relationship, of experience become less and less um, 
traumatic <laughs> and um, and conflicting, mm-hmm. absolutely, when we understand scope, when we understand sequence, when we understand positioning, when we understand our true nature and power, then we're actually able to do our humanity, and especially us as women, we're able to do our womanhood wondrously from that perspective. You know, and even when we fall and trip, I have my days where I fall and trip, I have a repertoire of skills as a supreme lover, an understanding and methodology that I can tap into anytime I want to pick myself up with the wisdom of the universe, which is something that self-love can't give us, which is something that self-love can't do. So one of the things I say, Sarah, to the women who say, you know, I want to go on this journey. How long is this going to take? And I say, well, just settle in, you know, because we go back to that quick fix. Like, what do I need? Six weeks? What do I need? You know, six months? It's like the diet, isn't it? You could go on a diet, lose a few pounds and gain it all back, or you could change your lifestyle. And, And what you're doing is advocating a change of lifestyle style a I change am. of patterning and when you're in that patterning not only do you vibrationally rise up your your energy signature frequency signature goes out there on a much higher level you become invitational there isn't conversation. Right. you become invitational you become That's a resonance it. that people want to be around you choose yeah. through being in this vibration to see life from a positive aspect which does not mean that you ignore what's going on but you can see oh, it from, uh, you can see it in a in a more reflective way of what to do about what's going on instead of being reactionary to it being proactive as to what is the solution to it it's just everything about you rises up and you just see a clarity about life now it doesn't mean you see it all but you understand what you're seeing at the moment that you're seeing it yes yes you know and uh, uh, sarah you're, you're hitting the nail right on the head of course and that's what I tell women who come in a little bit distracted, distracted to the SupremeLoveProject.com. And they say, well, can you teach me how to get a boyfriend? Can you show me how to get a man? I want to get married. I want to meet my Boaz, my twin flame, my soulmate. And I say, sure. I mean, I'm not a married person at this point. I'm not parenting or partnering right now. I can say, sure, I, I have ways to teach you those kinds of things. But is that what you really want? Yeah. Because that is avoidance to me. I, yeah. I hear avoid. I used to, I had that narrative for years. Teach me how to get someone to like me, to love me, to choose me, to pick me. Um, And those are avoidance practices. What that says to me is that you want to defer your power, extend it out, and drop it off to someone else, and let them have the right and the authority to tell you that you matter, to tell you that you you are visible, you're credible, you're desirable. And of course, I'm all for marriage. I believe in um, partnership. I'm an advocate for it, absolutely. And I'm not downing anyone who's in a relationship. I'm going to get into one soon. I mean, it's like, you know, whenever I want. But the point is, it is not healthy or um, needful for a woman to walk out into the world believing that her value, her worth, um, her inherent um, desirability and power rests in any other individual, whether it's partner, whether it's child, whether it's parent, whether it's friend, whether it's professional um, career, that is displacing power. That is splintering identity. That is avoidance and it is escapism. And what I say is exactly what you're saying. When you c- cultivate a supreme love identity and you become invitation as opposed to becoming um, confrontation when you actually do the work of doing your deep excavations of your soul you are irresistible of course you draw in from a healthy interior life a healthy exterior life that then you become a match it's called congruence 
And that congruency is what you can live from and operate from. And then you don't have to worry about being chosen or being picked without your power in place. Then you have a way of deciding back. Yes, I want to be with this person because I understand myself. I know who I am. I want to parent this person this way because I am clear about my identity, my power, my influence, my gifts and talents. Yes, I want to engage with my parent or my friend or my colleagues this way. And because I want my, I understand myself as an invitation. I understand myself as a god, as a goddess, as a queen, as a warrior, as a servant, um, as a pioneer. Um, and, and those are the kinds of attributes that you can gain when you practice supreme love as opposed to self-love. Yeah. And you know, the, the other very, very important thing here is um, whatever you're attracting that goes wrong is who you are. Um, you know, if, if the relationship isn't working, it's because you haven't yet defined a relationship with yourself. Uh, you can't have a relationship mm-hmm. with anyone else until you have that a relationship with yourself, until you're there where you're in that supreme love of who you are, what you stand for, wh- you know, what's your purpose in life, wh- what, how do you contribute to life. That is that glow, that resonance, that invitation that you send out to people. And you can't expect someone to come along and define me. You know, it is not their yeah. job to define you. It is their job to embrace you and the vibration yeah. that you resonate on. And if you want to create a symphony in your life, then be mm. that musical, musical instrument that invites people to kind of be around you, whether it be a lover, yeah. be friends, be business. You've got to be that tone, that piece of music that just draws people in. Absolutely. And what you're saying makes me remember another point that I want to be clear about. So people say to me in the SupremeLoveProject.com, well, does this mean when I generate, um, when I uh, suspend or deconstruct and eliminate my toxic reactionary lover identity and I build a supreme lover identity, what does that mean? Is my life going to be perfect? (laughs) And I say... No, of course not. Your life's not going to be perfect. It's just going to be better. It's going to be more honest. It'll be more compassionate. It'll be filled with more power, more wisdom, and grace. It means that you will be able to take life's tumults and disappointments when you actually are engaging with someone who is filled with a, a pain pattern that has not been identified or you are dissatisfied in any relationship. You will have the repertoire of knowledge and power to remove yourself from any situation or affect change in any situation, experience, or relationship with which you are not satisfied. Why? Because your interior constitution will be established. Your boundaries will be healthy and holy. That means your um, your methods of engagement will be vetted um, with a practice of di- um, divine order that you don't have right now. Um, your vantage point as a supreme lover will be more encompassed. You'll have an aerial view and a local view of multiple situations. You'll understand vantage point empathy and altruism in a way that you currently don't right now and that makes life more peaceable so that you can be that instrument Sarah that you're describing and create that orchestra in your life absolutely and I want to make a a caveat also here and and just amend what you're saying because I agree with what you're you're saying what I want to say to women is you don't need to be a supreme lover to be in a relationship there are plenty of women who are not supreme lovers who are doing toxic lover identity who are in relationships but they're not happy yes and they're not fulfilled and not only that some of them are actively being abused literally emotionally neglected psychologically traumatized physically battered um or just avoided ignored starved for attention for affection um for cooperation in building out the kind of love that you dream and so the question is, would you rather diet or would you rather make lifestyle change? 
And I think that most people, when we break down these concepts, um, would venture into lifestyle change. We just need a little bit of help. It definitely takes some support. We have to get to that level. You know, I was, um, you know, I know you've had your own journeys and, you know, mine, yes. mine was, I've had a lot of, uh, uh, kind of all of the things that you mentioned there, you know, the brow beating, the physical beating, the uh, the um, ignoring, um, you know, feeling unworthy, you know, because mm-hmm. I gave my power away. Right. Um, I allowed somebody else to, to define who I was because it yes. boosted them up uh, and yes. by bringing me down. And, yes. you know, that it, it took a long time for me to go, enough is enough. You know, mm-hmm. I'm worth more than this. I yes. am going to stand up for myself. I am not going yes. to take this anymore. And, you know, one, every time something may go bad for me now, I look back and go, look at the courage you had then that day. Yeah. That day to walk away to stand up for yourself. If you could do that then, in the state of being that you were n- then, look what you can do now. This is just a hiccup. Right. So, you know, taking this journey, as you said, you come away with the tools, with the knowledge, with the understanding, with the composure that you need to deal yes. with whatever you're going to deal with in life. Yes. Um, but you don't get haunted anymore by what has been because right. you've learned to release that and you've learned to empower yourself. You've got to be willing to do the journey, to put the work in, but my God, is it worth it? Oh, my God. It's so worth it, Sarah. And, you know, you and I could be on this phone until tomorrow talking about stories, just mm-hmm. the stories that we used to tell ourselves. Um, and I'm still doing excavations. One of the things that my coach talks about is learning that the lifelong journey applies to all people. And so I have come a mighty long way and I have ways to go. And the journey, though, is much more peaceable and I feel more empowered because I understand what's what to do. Um, and I am available and coachable and ready for more of what to do. Um, and ways to do um, as I push forward in life. But one of the things that you, you, you just talked about, Sarah, that I want to pause and really, really hone in on is this idea of demotion and promotion. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I didn't know for many years how much I demoted myself yeah. and promoted other people all around me. Mm-hmm. And the reason I didn't understand and I missed the memo was because of the slick and slippery nature of that habit. It's not necessarily as obvious as we might think. For example, because as women in general, we are socialized to be masculine, and I I can explain that in a minute, we're explained to be masculine givers, we miss the ways that we demote ourselves and promote other people. So for example, Um, so many of us are socialized to be really good nurturers. Even if you are told to go out and get a degree or a certification and get a great job that turns into a career um, that puts you on a trajectory to be in a leadership position, one is still encouraged and thought um, thought well of when she defers to other people and seeks to fulfill other people's needs. So that means being a good partner to a man. It means being a good mom to a child. It means being a good caretaker to your parents. It means being a good um, friend to your your um, associates. It means um, being a, a really good giver to your colleagues so that you pour out, pour out, pour out, yep. pour out. We become over-givers, hyper-givers, and then we... We, we erroneously attach our worth and value to the extent to which we can kill ourselves. Yes. <laughs> how, how much can I break myself apart and give away pieces of myself to other people to show that I am a valuable person? 
to show that mm-hmm. I am worthy of love, attention, affection, or just a gaze until we are really, really broken apart. And one of the things that happens in the com is women come to me very, very angry, violently angry, raging. He did this. She did that. They left me. They did that. They took this and left, went away. They stole my project at work. They gave away um, my money to this, that, and the other. And I say, the real culprit is you. Is you the real culprit is you my sister my darling my darling my sister please accept me and please hear me this is not an accusation I am not quote unquote one of them I am on the side of the speaker when I say this because I was the speaker at one time when I felt broken apart when I felt depleted in my energy Sarah giving 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 in, in so many masculine ways, leading, planning, positioning, offering, um, sacrificing, seeding, giving, toiling. Um, I wanted everyone else to take the blame and take responsibility, but it was me. I had demoted myself displaced my needs and desires and put them off to the side or way, 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 way back in the background until they were forgotten about and other people followed my lead. Yeah. In my imagination, they were promoted above me and became more important than me. And every part of myself, those fragmented parts of myself that I talk about in my research, became violently angry at me. Those parts of my soul Mm -hmm. that couch my meaning making, that couch my memory, they became mad at me as a spirit because I let havoc become reeking, um, just reeking in my kingdom, which is my soul and my soma. Mm -hmm. And so that promotion and demotion that I did in, in a way that was erroneous, in a way that was really, really contributing to my demise, I had to lay the onus and the responsibility at my feet. No matter what anyone, quote unquote, did to me, said to me, um, took away from me, I had to take full and complete responsibility for my life, for my heart, my mind, my body. If I lost sleep, if I lost weight, if I broke off, broke out in, in my skin and lost my hair, um, if I lashed out at people, if I dropped all kinds of balls in my professional life, in my friendships, that was because I did not have a healthy interior constitution, an established lover identity, and clear and healthy boundaries, and a set of methods through which to communicate with people exactly who I am, exactly what I want, exactly what I don't want, and where I'm going. Right. I call it, you know, we, we become a servant rather than of service. You know, I think when you're of service to the world, which is what we all are meant to be, we're all Mm -hmm. meant to be there of service to each other, but you can only be of service if you've got something abundant to give, and you can only have that abundance if you nurture yourself and oxygenate Mm -hmm. yourself first. When you become the servant, you become sacrificial, and the Mm -hmm. sacrifice is yourself. And you will keep giving and giving and giving until there's nothing left to give, and you're breaking down physically, emotionally, and you're becoming sick. And then you become resentful of becoming sick and the blame game goes elsewhere. But it's because you became a servant instead mm-hmm. of choosing to be of service in the world and first and foremost serving self because you can't help anyone else until you can help yourself. It's so true. And one of the things you're talking about is, is what women often recoil against. When a woman is working from a toxic reactionary lover identity and she is steeped in that socialism that says give, 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 yeah. give, show 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 demonstrate demonstrate how much you are worth by giving 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 when she hears something like what you just described yeah when she hears what you just described what i just described she recoils Mm. she said well i can't be selfish i can't be inconsiderate 
You know, I, that would make me such a mean person. It would make me such a thoughtless person. And I don't want to be that person. And what I say to women in that, in that space is take a moment to examine where you are and what you're doing and the identity that you are cultivating to lead you and how you show up in the world. If that identity is truly satisfying and affirming, it is um, organically, then we can stop right here. There's no need for us to continue. However, if you can tell the truth, if you can be real with yourself and admit the exhaustion and the frustration, the anger, the encroaching bitterness that's being cultivated in your identity, in your practice of believing, in your attitude, in your behaviors, in your thought processes, then we have lots to talk about. That, that has to do why what you just described is not selfishness. It's not inconsiderate behavior, and it's not reprehensible on any level to actually make yourself a priority in your gift giving. Giving to yourself so that your abundance can be overflowing so that you can be, as you described, in service is a high priority. It's the highest priority that we have in humanity, actually. We're really flawed in our thinking if we think otherwise. Yes. Um, I mean, let's take some of the greats that we see out there. You know, let's take Oprah Winfrey. Um, you know, she's, uh, she's done the gamut. You know, she's been through the abuse. She's been through the pain. She's been through the rejection. Uh, she's known the highs of success. She's known the demands of success. Uh, the depletion of success and then she decided to place value on herself and do what she loves and do it in a way that is giving of herself uh, fully without sacrificing herself and you know look at the impact that she has on the world look at the gift that she is through what she does but sometimes pulling back you know the less is more um, you <coughs> do more when you do it more fully in your own yes. wholeness than you do in f fragmentation of your bits. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. You're reminding me, Sarah, especially when you talk about fragmentations. I, I used to have a friend. Um, we are no longer friends in the natural. I, I, I claim her in the spirit. I want to bless her, of course, in the spirit, but we cannot have day-to-day -day interactions. One of the things that started to provoke and 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 agonize me as I was moving through my uh, um, space of unbelieving to a space of believing what you're describing and what I'm describing in the SupremeLawProject.com um, is that there were so many ways I noticed the effects of what it meant to do something begrudgingly. Mm -hmm. So when we as women think that it would be selfish, self-serving, um, um, arrogant, and inconsiderate, to say no to a task or a sacrifice or a contribution that will hurt or harm us for fear of what other people will think of us. Yeah. What ends up happening about seven or eight times out of 10 is we'll go in and we'll do that thing. So maybe you'll get up early and run errands for someone else. Plenty out of your pocket to pay someone else's bills when your bills need to be paid. Maybe you will, um, you know, fix a meal for someone, um, even though you're exhausted and tired and you need to actually rest your body, but you will do it begrudgingly. You'll do it in, with a falsity 
of kindness, which is an offense. That's, that's actually a sin to give to someone and grumble in yourself. Um, you know what I'm saying? To, to bless someone even with a, yeah, even to bless someone with a prayer, but to do it with resentment, with a bitterness on your tongue. That is defiling the whole experience of giving and receiving. It's defiling the whole experience because you're giving out of nothing. You're giving out of void. You're giving out of lack. You're giving out of a tempest that is filled with all kinds of minutia. You want to give out of clear, clean waters. You want to give out of a cistern that's filled with holiness, that is calm, that is peaceable, that is excited. You know, the scriptures say God loves a cheerful giver. And to be a cheerful giver, that means you have to give out of all that you have. Give it freely. Give it with with laughter um, or with sorrow. You know, there are times... um, when we come to other people um, who, as when we do this a lot, we come to other people who are grieving, and sometimes the grief that we bear witness to and that we uh, support processing of um, takes a long time. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but there are lots of people in my life who've been in mourning for like two, three, four years. You know, that level of partnership takes a while. I mean, these are people who have like devastating experiences. And what I think of now as a supreme lover is if I am going to commit to giving and being of service in the life of that person who was in the long haul of grief, then I need to be sure that I stay replenished, that I stay clean and clear um, for myself so that I can give out of abundance to that person because they're in this for the long haul. They're doing really deep reparative work. And if I'm being chosen to partner with them and walk along this road with them, I need to be full. I cannot go to that place and do giving, you know, clean their house, fix their meals, help out to pay a bill without clear boundaries, without clear expressions, without honest and transparent communications, without um, gentleness and tenderness of heart. If I become hardened in my heart, resentful and pissy, bitter and angry because I feel encroached upon, because I feel taken advantage of, because I feel unrecognized, because I feel undervalued, it is because, again, I have demoted myself and promoted someone else, and that is false service. That is actually not healthy, whole, good service. You're just doing that just to show to people, you know, look what yes. I'm doing. I'm such a giver. That's right. And that's martyrdom. That's right. And, uh, and it's, it you know, is. Um, you know, the other thing is, is when you, when you give actually in gratitude, uh, yeah, you're, you're giving. You know that you're very grateful for being able to give somebody something that they need. Yeah. You know, it, oh a yeah. Vibration. Yeah, absolutely. Giving and gratitude does those great things, and it it makes you're, what you're saying and what I'm thinking of. It makes me remem- remind. It reminds me of a woman who called in um, to one of the webinars that I produced uh, last year, um, and she said, "Well, let's say you have this really close friend. Let's say it's your sister." And she's going through a really hard time, and she needs you to help her. Um, let's say you're exhausted from work. You're exhausted from taking care of your children. You're having a fight with your spouse that's, like, being worked out. You're mind-numbingly tired, but your sister calls you crying and says, I can't pay my bill. You know, would you please come over and sit with me and talk? Or, you know, can we please have a girl's night out? Or, And can you please, like, pick up the tab or help me with this, that, or the other? What do you do then? If, if this is a person who is special to you, 
and who means a lot to you and they're asking you to give and a moment when you feel depleted, don't you give anyway because of the person's position in your life, because of who they are? And what I would say is absolutely, definitely use wisdom. Here's what you do. You say to the person one of several things. Maybe it's this. Yes, of course. I want to help you and come sit with you. Yes, I will help you pay this bill. This will be the last time that I'll be able to help because I have to make sure that I prioritize my children and my husband. Or if you're single, I have to make sure I prioritize my health and retirement because I'm not in a safe space right now and I have to make sure that I honor my commitments. So yes, I will come. Yes, I will help because I love you, because I'm devoted to this relationship and to you, because I prioritize you. Can I come in a couple of hours after I get a little bit of sleep? What, what, what can we do? How can we work this out? Can I come maybe tomorrow? Is there a way that I can send a proxy right now with the check? What can I do? So it's about making sure you can do some negotiation in those moments where it's not so black and white, but doesn't mean saying with that falsity, with those lying, duplicitous lips, sure, I'm happy and I'm fine and I'm good and I'm great and I'll come over and rescue you and meet your needs while I am teetering on the edge over here. No, we want to find a really healthy boundary um, and balance in those moments that can honor self and honor others in a win-win healthy situation. It is possible. It's sometimes messy. However, it is possible. That's a, that's a lesson that was really hard for me. Number one, I found it very hard to receive. You know, there was one thing in my sure. mind of that um, if somebody does for me, I've got to do even bigger back for them. There was that yeah. dialogue going in. And then the other thing was is that um, I can't say no to anybody because then I'm letting them down. My, right. my journey since then has been um, I've opened up to receive because I've understood that the gift that somebody else is giving me is part of their journey, part of their pleasure, part of yes. their paying it forward. And so I've had to open up and and gracefully receive which took a while for me to do the other thing too is i've learned to say no sorry i can't um mm -hmm. you know i get bombarded every day by can you do this can you do that i am doing the best i can with what i've got and i will help yeah. you within these parameters yeah please don't ask me outside of that because there i am unable right right and Sarah, what you're describing um, are healthy boundaries. And one of the things we talk about in the SupremeLoveProject.com, especially in the Supreme Love course, um, which is a tuition-based experience for 12 months that people can communicate and call in about, we talk specifically about what it means to develop what I call a supreme perimeter. It's exactly what you just described. Now, what we don't understand as women is how to get there. Yeah. A lot of women say, I can just say these are my boundaries, but if you don't have the scaffolding in your interior life to uphold those boundaries, there will be someone who will come along and just blow and they'll all come crumbling down, yeah, whatever quote-unquote boundaries you, you think you, you have. Yeah, but if you don't actually believe those boundaries That's right. yourself, they're going to That's chisel right. away so easily at it. That's the whole point, right? Totally, they're absolutely. Gonna, they're going to read through the lines, oh, yeah, you say that, but you don't believe it. You've you don't really believe it. You believe it and you stand by it without any apology. That's right. And it really requires a process of developing those boundaries, identifying what it means to have healthy boundaries, what it means to construct them according to your values, your principles, your aversions, your needs and desires, and then what it means to be an officer of, um, uh, of, of a guard, the, the guardian of your boundaries, um, which, is, which requires a strength of character, which requires accountability measures. It requires some support 
um, before you get there. If I didn't have my coach in my community, I don't think I would have healthy boundaries today. I do not. Mm -hmm. I do not. Um, and it, we're not taught even from little girl, little girlhood. Girls are taught to um, avail their bodies to people. It, yeah. it, this is a very slip, slippery and slick mm-hmm. way. So, for example, when a little baby girl is met by a stranger and they want to pinch her cheeks or pick her up or hug her or kiss her, a lot of people encourage her to allow those people to do that as if she is a doll. Yeah. And this comes from a very young, young age from babies, like nine months, 10 months, 11 months old, when the child is able to crawl away or hold up hands and say no, even without words, the parents say, oh, she's just joking. Oh, honey, no, let him hold you. Let her kiss you. Let you. Those are messages that we get from infancy that actually carry over to adulthood. Mm-hmm. It comes in the space of money, uh, physicality, um, social spheres, emotionality, um, psychological processes where we are boundless, uh, where we have no infrastructure to really hold us up. A lot of women are walking around with very muddy middles. They are just mush on the inside. And if you tap them, they'll crumble. Absolutely, you know, I know all about it. We're looking at a $150 billion sex industry globally. Oh, my God. And this is, you know, un- unwilling mostly kids and obviously yeah. m- mostly women. And <sighs> if we're looking at $150 billion sex industry, what is that saying about our society? Yeah. Most certainly that it's broken and that, yes, right from the word go, we need to teach. I did this with my children when they were three years of age. They went through a program of this is my body and you can't touch it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's sad that we have to do that. But at the same time, it gave them the empowerment to say no. To right, understand right. when something didn't feel right, to speak out if somebody made them feel comfortable. And we have to empower our children with that. We yes. have to give them the power of their own voice. We have to listen to them uh, as to what they're telling us and not dismiss it. Because the sick world that we're living in is of our own making. And now it is time that we take it back in our own personal empowerment and then come together in that collective in order to to change the structure, change the seating. Yeah, and one of the things that I talk about in the project is that by the time a woman is an adult, she has has had years of this programming. Mm -hmm. And not only this apparent, demonstrable, notable programming that is observable in everyday life, she's also got what we talked about earlier, which is the intergenerational inheritance of such programming. What's inherited from your grandmother, your great-grandmother, your mom, your sisters, your cousin, the people who build into consciousness to actually cooperate to um, with the divine to bring you into this earth. You're, most all of us, we are carrying with us those kinds of boundless, um, creepy, toxic attachments um, to terror, relational and social terrors. Unknowingly. And unknowingly. Unknowingly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely unconsciously and also really deceptively because so many of us, Sarah, you know, myself included, um, we are brought up to be very um, pretty, very perky, very approachable, very palatable, um, very easygoing, very hardworking, very nurturing people. There are so many women project who are successful by all accounts you know they've got great careers lots of degrees they travel the world they've got their own homes they've got their own cars and even the women who are quote-unquote less successful are still working hard and producing a lot for their families and their communities um, and doing such great things and so at first glance 
one does not recognize easily at all that she is carrying such somatic memory and such survival programs and such belief systems. And she does not catch at all her connectivity to past generations of all this patriarchal pain, this hyper-masculine, this hyper-patriarchal pain that funds this $150 billion sex industry that humiliates and denigrates and dehumanizes women. We don't necessarily at all take that for granted by consciousness. I mean, that's not something we talk about over dinner. We don't talk about that over drinks. So this message gets missed. However, it is operating in an undercurrent of our consciousness. It is running and ruining our lives. And so what I talk about in the Supreme Love Project is your Supreme Lover Identity which is based on supreme love and not self-love, can actually awaken your consciousness to all of that connective tissue that you're describing now, that I'm describing now, so that you become aware of how you are connected to everyone else. You become aware to how your stories maybe have gotten enmeshed with other people's stories. You become aware of where your boundaries need to be set up. You become aware of how your interior constitution needs to be developed and vetted. You become aware of the methods that are available to you from an abundance, limitless mindset to actually up-level you and get you um, in touch with the fullness of your personhood so that you can have the life and love of your dreams and actually heal yourself from the inside out. And if you don't tap in, if you just sort of stay stuck at quote-unquote self-love, you won't get that message. You will not. Our whole society is built on the illusions that keep women stuck. Living generation after generation after generation, decade after decade after decade, in a spin cycle of suffering and clueless about why. I think the political state that is right now, and especially uh, what we're seeing in America, the neophysical, um, archaic, um, misogynist people have been mm-hmm. put in power, uh, which I- is to bring women back to the dark ages in every aspect. Oh my gosh, um, yeah. You know, this is a perfect time. It, it is what the universe had to do for us to get our attention because people right. weren't paying attention you know, when, when they were handing their power over to everybody else. And the fact that this has happened, and it's outraged people so much. And look at the, the Women's March that we had that ended up being global, peaceful, not yeah. one altercation. Um, husbands <laughs> and, and brothers and lovers supporting the women um, to stand up and say, uh-uh, this is our boundary. We're not going to take that. This mm. is, if ever there was a time in life, for us to step up into our own empowerment by freeing ourselves from that servitude that we've been so conditioned into and step into our own beautiful empowerment of service to one another. This is the invitation the universe has given right now through this diversity. And this is a time that, uh, that we've been called. We've been called to order. Absolutely. We've been called to join this movement, this revolution. And it's not about anger or pitlocks it's about that supreme love of ourselves mm. of each other of our community and of our t- tolerance that we are not going to uh, go quietly into the night we are here yes and basically i call it the mama project you know mama has just seen what the little boys have done and not they're not going to tolerate that behavior and we're going to teach you a lesson and that lesson is is how to treat women of this world yeah yeah, how to treat girls and women. Yeah. And, you know, the way that we can get go deeper 
um, into that understanding is to understand womanhood very, very well. Mm -hmm. The complexity of girlhood and womanhood is really, really powerful. We come in different shapes and sizes. We come in different colors, different races, different ethnicities, different ages. Um, we have different abilities and, and actually, um, uh, ad, uh, not adverse, but um, divergent mm -hmm. abilities, which yes. some call disabilities, um, there are all kinds of ways. We have different hair texture, different um, features, different, you know, size feet. <laughs> there are all kinds of ways that the world experiences girlhood and womanhood from this bounty, from this abundance. And there are all kinds of ways that hyper-masculinist hyper and patriarchal ideology breaks apart the bodies of girls and women. I wanted to go back to what you were saying about the march um, of women in the U.S. to protest um our current president uh, and it be, how it became global. One of the things that was notable about it is that it's right. There weren't all these um, arrests and there wasn't violence. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons um, for that is not only because the protests were organized and peaceful, but also because the lion's share of the protests were filled with girls and women who were white. And historically, the racist, sexist, misogynistic infrastructure is less um, less violent by comparison, not in general mm -hmm. at all, but by comparison to, um, to white women than it is to women of color. And when we understand, for example, that complexity, and we can come in and say, ah, I see, that's another way that the patriarchy tends to divide us. That's another way that hypermasculinist identity attempts to um, fracture the concept of girlhood and womanhood, break us apart, cause us to hate each other, misunderstand each other. That's where the division happens, that our unity can't really manifest. Oh, I get that. And that helps us to become more sophisticated, more mature, and better at protesting, better at deconstructing it, yeah. better at coming into alliance with each other. So that we can win and create win-win scenarios across the board that don't leave anyone out and right. that are not incomplete in their effect, which is where we want to go. That is where we want to go. Yeah. And what I'm saying to you, Sarah, and what I'm saying to your listeners is a supreme lover, a woman who has a supreme lover identity can figure that out. A woman who is just practicing self-love doesn't figure that out. A woman who is practicing self-love doesn't reach that level of awareness because she's not attuned tapped in to that aerial view that I was describing, that spiritual nuance that I was describing, um, that stewardship that um, is meaningful, and that somatic memory that taps into the ancient wisdoms. And so when we get that knowledge and we go to that level, wow, I mean, then what are we talking about here? Why would we be talking about a lack of anything, a lack of men, a lack of money, a lack of time, a lack of energy? There won't be lack. There won't be lack because... It doesn't really exist. Yeah. There is now, and there is abundance, and feminine, con uh, like feminine awareness, I would say Christ consciousness, and also feminine awareness and understanding a feminine center can tap us into all of that wealth. That is wealth. That is an abundance of wealth. And yeah, studying yeah. supreme love actually makes that possible. Yeah. I always say, you know, be, be blind, deaf, and dumb in order to hear, see, and feel. If we stopped looking at the skin... Uh, the uh, the clothing, the house, the car, you know, the economics, the status quo, and we start looking at each other from the inside out, the heart, mm. the soul, the character, the spirit of a person, we will mm. realize where the wealth lies, where the yeah. enrichment is, and if we embrace that enrichment, we will understand, you know, how enriched and how abundant we are as a nation, as a people, 
Uh, mm. We've just got to, you know, take those other glasses off and really put the true vision and see each other, not for our container, not for our vessel, but for what is carried within it. Um, and then embrace that. It, we're not saying kumbaya, we're not saying you're going to love everybody, but is accept each other's differences of opinion without bashing each other, without hating each other. You can disagree, you don't have to hate to disagree. And you know what, Sarah, I agree with you to a point. I want to add a caveat. And it's important to me that I want, I, because it's important to um, really guard against um, the type of intersectional racism and misogyny and sexism that come into play when we only think about spirit and soul. The reason I advocate for a supreme lover identity is because of the totality of the identity. It means understanding yourself as a spirit, which you're referring to right now, mm -hmm. soul and living in a body. I want and. I don't. I want both and. I don't want either or. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say that we don't have to acknowledge the container. We have to acknowledge the container. I want to understand. Container. Right. I want to understand the essence that unifies us all as spirit. I want to understand the complexity of each individual soul and the collectivity of souls that have different ways of meaning making and production of knowledge. And I want to understand the soma of, these, of all people and what it means to live in a world in a particular soma. There are bodies that are treated very, very differently because of the systemic oppression yes. that comes into play as a result of racism, sexism, misogyny, xenophobia, transphobia, homophobia. And so we have to have both. We have to say, I recognize you spirit to spirit. I acknowledge and want to learn more about your soul life, your soul experience. And I see you wholly and completely as a soma, as a person who is occupying a particular body because that somatic experience and that soul meaning making actually creates reality for that individual person and if we only recognize them in part then we are in fact contradicting their reality and we are not fully acknowledging the wholeness of their personhood so i've got to push back again i have to advocate for the totality yeah, of I all i want agree. both I and i'm just saying that yeah. we, you know people are only seeing the container they're not seeing yeah. anything else and i'm saying you mm -hmm. know, we have to look to what's inside um mm -hmm. you know whatever uh, your our vessel is 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 a, a lot of your cultural learnings. It's a lot of your history, um, and it is uh, it is also bringing that culture is the way that you're going to interact with life. You know the, your community, yeah. uh, and that's very very much a part of you. It's very much part of your ingredient yes. in life. But you know, as society is doing is that all they're doing is looking at the outside, and they're not mm. incorporating the inside. And yes, we're a whole package. But I think if, if we sometimes um, kind of just penetrated in and looked in from the inside out rather than the outside in, I think we would see more of the person. I see what you're saying. And I agree and I understand. And the reason that also that is, is, is a complicated notion is because one of the things we know, and I know this as a scholar, um, when I think about the research on girls and women, there is this conundrum that happens. It's called hypervisibility -vis and invisibility. It's simultaneous hypervisibility and invisibility. That's what happens to girls and women often, very mm -hmm. often. What it means is that hypermasculine gaze we're taught to desire and seek after. That's where we get our approval addiction. That's where we learn promotion and demotion. We want men to look at us. We want boys to choose us, to pick us, to affirm us, to um, evaluate us, to rank us. Um, and we place a lot of stock in that. We actually chart inventory in relation to those gazes, in relation to the social capital that we get from those gazes. What ends up happening, though, is that attribute makes us as girls and women hyper-visible in a very particular way. 
as sex objects maybe, um, as toys, mm-hmm. um, as sources of titillation, um, as battering posts, um, as pinup girls, um, as tokens, um, and um, as mothers, um, as whores, um, as caretakers. Mm-hmm. A- absolutely. And it makes us also simultaneously absolutely by hyper invisible. So mm-hmm. both hyper visible and invisible. So then when we are turned off, we become vapors. So then we can be ignored. We can be ostracized. We can be put apart. We can be separated. We can be dismissed. Dismissed. We can be diminished. Uh, we can be disrespected very easily. And that binary is what causes a lot of abuse to happen because the one end actually makes us objects. Visibility um, actually makes us, um, as I said earlier, basically vapors um, and dehumanizes us um, almost completely. And so definitely we want to acknowledge both and we want to do totality in person. We want to recognize spirit to spirit. Yeah, we want to recognize the stewardship of souls in each of those spirits, and we want to recognize the soma that that spirit is occupying um, with a soul. We have to do both, and we have to do totality of personhood. Otherwise, we're we're really, really leaving ourselves wide open to more abuse, more violence, um, and more suffering, which we, we don't need anymore. We're done. Right. We're done with that. Yeah. Well, segmentation leads to segregation, doesn't it? So Absolutely. Yeah, we need the whole of us. So, will yeah. you please tell us about your book, The Revelations of Asha, uh, towards um, supreme love and self? Yes, absolutely. So, The Revelations of Asha, towards supreme love and self, um, is a book that I wrote. It, it was 10 years in the making, at least. It's based on scholarly research, so it's academic a little bit in nature. Um, I worked with a group of 10 women, myself included, for two years. So, I collected narrative data in an ethnographic inquiry, so there's lots of data. There's journal entries, there are interviews, there are focus group, um, instant messaging communications, email communications, and I did discourse analysis and narrative analysis of um, those data sets for many years, Um, and I became stronger and stronger as a scholar, as an educator. I, I noticed the wealth of data that I had in my possession, and I realized that I wanted to tell the stories um, of the women that I worked with, myself included, um, and I knew that those stories were going to be, um, uh, were, would, would necessitate a creative and critical presentation, which means I didn't want to just write a report right. and say, you know, here's subject A, <laughs> mm-hmm. and here are her stories, here's subject Z, and here are her stories. And so basically what I did is I created a book that tells um, women's um, terror narratives, um, um, their terrors in life and love um, from the perspective of their fragmented selves. And that means I found seven voices in my data, and those voices um, actually function as emotive centers um, that the women uh, generated in order to communicate their pain, their suffering, and do the work of making sense of it, developing meaning, calling up memories. Um, and so the book is a collection of narrative data that is presented like prose. So there are parts of it that read the novel. There's poetry in the book. There's a soundtrack in the book. Um, it's definitely an adventure. It's a rich, deep, wonderful project. Um, and what it does in the end is it shows how the fragmented parts of ourselves 
actually conspire um, from in our interior life to generate um, lover identities that are observable in our exterior life and that actually construct so much of our reality, um, so much of our knowledge framework, so much of our way of being. Um, and it talks about supreme love um, as an identity that can be attained if one is very conscious and very aware of how your lover identities um, are built by your, your fragments itself. It's a, a powerful, beautiful project that's come out, it, I, I'm humbled to say, to critical acclaim, um, and I'm doing a, a tour right now. Um, going to college campuses and universities all over the country to talk about the research and my findings. It's really exciting. Well, what's so nice about it is the fact that it's real-life stories. You know, this yes. isn't just like a professor who's kind of, as you said, done a report. You know, by by really telling the stories, you know, from from the true depths uh, yes. and the journey that was taken, you know, it, we learn about ourselves through other people's stories. Yes. You know, we relate, you know, or I, I feel that way somebody else does, and they did what? Uh, oh, that's a revelation about myself. You know, this is, right. a, this is the beauty of it when we share a story, is that we self-discovery comes out with it within our own journey, and then it becomes empowering. It also makes you yes. feel less alone, and somebody else has done it. How did they do it? Can I do it? It becomes that invitation because of that inspiration. So, yes. you know, it's... It's very important out there because it's so needed at the present moment. It's always being needed, but I think people are recognizing the point, the fact right now, they do need it, and they're more embracing of receiving it now. Absolutely. And when we learn through other people's stories, we actually can generate the empathy that's required to form connections, to yes. do intimacy. And so that was also another reason um, why I chose to tell the women's stories instead of just write a report. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to present the data criti critically, uh, basically asking lots and lots of questions of why, how, when, where, but also creatively, which is giving a poetic expression to these stories so that women could latch on, could actually relate, could maybe find themselves in the stories. There are lots of experiences that the fragments itself tell um, in the Revelations of Asher that are common to women. Um, there are, there's a terrible story of a, of a, a recount of rape in one of the poems where one of the fragments itself, Sash, um, details explicitly what she experienced while in the um, course of being raped. There's um, a fragment itself, Asher, for whom the book is named, who tells the story of emotional um, neglect and infidelity, of lies, betrayal, gaslighting, which comes from a narcissistic codependent relationship, which many of us can relate to. Mm -hmm. I certainly can. Yeah. Um, there are uh, stories in the revelations of Asher from, that are told from the fragments itself of Kagan, who is um, the emotive center that focuses on sex, sexuality, um, intimacy, desire, want of gain, material goods, gifts, time, money. And she talks about her hunger, basically, and her, um, her deprivation as a side chick, as a person who is involved with a person who is not committed to her, who leaves her, who abandons her. There's stories of humiliation. Um, it's very embarrassing for many women to admit that they have suffered these sorts of relational and social terrors um, and lift their heads up afterwards yeah. because of the, the shame, uh, the guilt, and the symbolism of, of, of the stigma, absolutely. Um, and the, the, the symbol of publicity mm -hmm. that we, and the fraudulence that we own and we construct because we're not owning our stories. And so my hope is that women engage with the book, um, The Revelations of Asher, in ways that will help them to wake up 
um, to find themselves and their voices within the pages and get in touch at the com. Take the lover identity quiz um, and then get the support that they need to deconstruct those old toxic lover identities and build something new. Yeah. I mean, you know, we really are truly and utterly awesome. I mean, we, we are really such incredible creatures. We are. You know, we've been, you know, denying ourselves, you know, for so long because we got caught on that patterning, you know, uh, you know, um, and we realize now that that patterning has been very destructive and it's really what's caused, you know, our system to completely break down. And it takes something, you know, as shocking as what's going on right now for us to kind of realize the system's broken, how are we going to come together and sit? And it's not on the political uh, stage, it's not on uh, any other stage and the stage that is first and foremost lies, you know, within us. Being willing to to find that love of self within us, that supreme love of self within <coughs> us, so that we can be a part of that equation, part of that healing, part of that collective that's going to be out there, that's going to, you know, change the way the world works. And we have to also understand that this isn't going to be something that's going to happen, you know, if we all came together right now and, you know, in five years we're going to see a difference. It's going to be generational. It's going to be your children and, you know, their children. We're going to see this whole system change through the generations, but we have to step up right now and be willing to take the journey if we want to see any changes that are happening out there. So uh, for people to be a part of your project, um, I know you've, you've, you've given the site, but you also have your own site, JanineStaples.com. I do. I do. Um, but if people want to be a part of Supreme Love Project, I encourage them to go to the SupremeLoveProject.com. The first step probably is to take the lover identity quiz. It's right there on the homepage. That will get you into our system and also get you some of the answers that you might need um, to help you to understand what your pain patterns are, um, what your, your taste for terror actually is, and how your suffering is manifesting. Once we know your lover identity, we can help you to heal the terrors in your soul and launch a revolution in your life. That's the tagline, and it is the truth. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you want people that are willing to step up and, and participate in their own healing. Um, you know, again, I do. Is, there's no Band-Aid. There's no you know, magic pill. This is your participation because you are investing in yourself. You're nurturing yourself um, so that you can be a better contributor to the world. And that's the first right. step, isn't it? It is. It is the first step. And, and, you know, Sarah, that's one of the reasons why we go back to the idea of the two-by-four, yeah. that spiritual two-by-four. Unfortunately, the women who come um, are usually, not always, you know, but usually at the point where they realize yeah. that this is not a diet, that this is a lifestyle yeah. change. And they come surrendering, um, sort of being um, knocked around quite a bit by love and life um, and feeling very confused and um, really ready to make the commitment and not look for that quick fix, not look for that magic pill. It doesn't exist. Now, there are ways in the Supreme Love Project that I teach women, especially in the Supreme Love course, how to feel better in five minutes. I can definitely that. I can teach you how to feel better in five minutes. There are lots of ways to do that. Um, what I say to women is, when they ask me, how long is this going to take? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what I say is, um, about five minutes to feel better. I can help you to feel better if you, if you hop on the line in about five minutes. If you want to do better, um, that is making different decisions in your daily life for how you show up in relationships, how you express yourself with people, how you cultivate healthy boundaries, how you define yourself. That takes about five to six minute, months to start to notice 
you doing better. But if you want to be better, that means to be experiencing healing spaces in your soul and your soma on a regular basis so that your lover identity is lifted up, so that you have done excavation, so that you are healed and holy in multiple places in your Amazon, the Amazon of your soul. It'll take about five years. So it's a five-five-five equation. Mm-hmm. If you want to feel better, it takes five minutes. If you want to do better, it's about five to six months. If you want to be better, commit. It'll take about five years, and you will absolutely rock out. I remember one woman who's um, um, uh, teen sister, and she was 51, and she said, what? I'll be 56 by the time I'm being better? And I said to her, yeah, but, you know, God willing, you'll be 56 anyway. You're going exactly, exactly. to be 56 anyway. Yeah. It, you're going to get there anyway. Wouldn't you rather be 56 and be whole <laughs> and be healed? And believe me, you're going to have lots of fun and lots of triumphs and lots of powerful upswings and highlights on the way to that yeah. space. You're not going to be living in a hovel while you get there. We're, it's a journey, and it's exciting while you grow there and, and glow there and move to that space. So it is worth the commitment. It is worth the investment. It is a lifetime commitment, but it's worth every ounce. And I'm sure, Sarah, that you would agree. Oh, um, amen to that. You know, I, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm 62, and I'm still discovering things about myself. But It's wonderful, you know, for, yeah. For who I am right now to who I was five years ago even, you know, Absolutely. I'm chalk and cheese, a totally different person. I finally come into my own. I've finally become the person that I was al- always knew was there, but I couldn't communicate with or I couldn't interact with. Uh, yeah. and, it, and also, I can tell you from the nearly 1,800 shows that we have collectively here on Self Discovery Radio, um, everybody here has made a journey. Everybody here has had some form of, you know, kind of epiphany, discovery, been willing to, um, to take the process and every single one of them will say to you it was all worth it because yes. who I am now what I am now doing <sighs> what I'm doing now is ultimately the supreme life that I've always for- wanted never knew I could have mm. got to be willing absolutely right? <laughs> I totally agree you've got to be willing it is worth every moment of this work and this worth and also here's the other thing that I say to women if, if, if they're teetering on the edge making the decision about doing this commitment um, either investing in a coach uh, joining a community community really subscribing to a curriculum all of which we offer in the Supreme Love Project it's only by invitation it's not open to the public um, but when a woman invests to in herself to that level what ends up happening is you tap in to new people. Mm-hmm. So then you get to meet your people. You get to meet people who are equally vested, who are like-minded, who are walking the walk with you so you won't be alone. This is a win-win situation. Absolutely. Yeah. You're holding each other accountable. Mm-hmm. You're holding each other's hands when you fall down on your face, when you drop the ball, when you hit the ball, which is like sort of the edge of your comfort zone. You say, I can't go any further. I can't go any mm-hmm. further. Then you have people there who say, yes, you can. Here we are over on this other side and they reach a hand out to give you a lift from that pit that you're in and then you can get to celebrate with them as you move forward and acknowledge that you can actually grow beyond what you imagine and that community is there for you. So making the investment um, in building a new lover identity is well worth it, not only, I think primarily, for the way that you get to grow just the way that you described, Sarah, you know, in this prime time of your life and your developmental stage, you're going to keep that growing um, and momentum 
moving forward. But also, you get to do it with other people. It's it's a, it's a very rich, powerful, intimate, fulfilling experience. So much better than the shallow, surfacey, contentious, cantankerous experience that you're probably living now. Absolutely. And, you know, a we're not meant to do it alone. That's why there is always community. And b when you when you are together, you know, with the like spirited soul and and hearted people you're creating a symphony and the music that you're going to make together vibrationally will go out and be so invitational to other people it'll be it will be that harmony that they seek so the better you become uh, in your community the more that you're going to change everything else around you so you're not just doing it for you you're doing yeah. it in order to be able to be a contributor to the world uh, in a vibration that resonates purely uh, and fundamentally on love. Absolutely. And that's a, that's like a, a beautiful note to end on. Oh, I don't know if we're ending, but I think it's a we beautiful are, note are. To, to transition. <laughs> yeah, because we've been, we could talk for a long, long, yes, long, 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 long time, but we've already been on for over an hour. But here's the thing that I want to say um, to co-sign what you just said. The things that I say in the Supreme Love Project is your job, I tell this to the, my community, your job as a woman is to heal yourself and heal the world in that order. When you heal yourself, you heal the world. Because a woman is a catalyst. You are the cog in the machine. No matter where you are or what you're doing, if you're a single or partnered, if you're parenting or not, if you are a caretaker or not, if you are running a business or not, if you are whatever it is that you're doing, whoever it is you are and how you're showing up in the world, what happens is, As a supreme lover, when you heal yourself, do your deep excavations of the soul, you get so clear about your purpose. You get so clear about your reach. You get so clear and so charged about your gifts, your talents, your contributions. And then you are able to align yourself with that purpose and do the work of manifesting that purpose in the world so that you don't get caught up in saving that man. You don't get caught up in saving that one wayward child. You don't lay down your life and become, as you said, um, a, a wayward subservient servant mm-hmm. to your parent who is abusing you. No, 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 no. You heal yourself and heal the world. You heal yourself. Yeah. You become fully vested in abundance of gifts, talents, joy, peace, temperance, grace, wisdom, power. So that child lost its way. You understand how to bless that person without enmeshing yourself and taking on their problems. You understand how to communicate with that man and not align your worth and value to him. You understand how to communicate with that parent and honor that parent without allowing yourself to be drugged under the bus by that parent. There is a way that you do work of modeling health and wholeness so that when you are dropped into a community as a healthy whole person, the reverberating effect of your wholeness reaches the generations. It is a miracle. Domino effect. That the momentum that just keeps gathering and gathering and gathering. And the more of us that step up, the more that beautiful harmony goes out and, and just kind of unites and, and, um, and heals the world. Uh, we are the answer. We've just got yeah. to be willing to, to step up to it. So thank you so much for being with us here today, love. This has been wonderful. Yes, you are welcome. I really appreciate the invitation. It has been great. Thank you so much. So it's the supremeloveproject.com or janinestaples.com. You can also get her book um, uh, from the site. Um, you can also get it here from the posting of uh, Supreme Love and Self, Janine Staples. Um, I hope you enjoyed the show. This is one of these ones where you 
you get a bunch of your friends together and you listen to it together and then you have a heart-to-heart conversation afterwards yeah um, because remember you're not meant to do it alone and Janine is here to help you she's got a community here to help you and you know bring your community along and do it all together because uh, the more of us that that do uh, the better all of us will be amen absolutely I concur so thank you very much Janine and uh, to everybody else out there um, I wish you the the courage and the strength to place that love upon yourself until next time folks bye for now bye bye Bye.